Well, good morning, Graceway family. Pastor Ed here, and uh, this morning I've got the privilege of uh, leading us into the Word and kind of summarizing what, uh, if you've been reading along with us, what we read this week. Uh, and if you haven't been able to read along with us, I'll catch you up here. Uh, there's an awful lot in just these few verses that we read throughout the week, and I just want to highlight uh, three things uh, that we read through and what they might be showing us. You know, when we read in the scriptures, there's a couple things to keep in mind and to consider. And one is is looking at the scripture and 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 answering, look, seeking to answer the question like, what is the author of this writing trying to communicate? What is being communicated to me? Um, and then the other thing to look through that, knowing that the writing of the scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and continues to speak uh, through it to us today is what is God highlighting to me? What is he trying to show me and speak to me through this scripture? And you know, when we teach through the scripture, we're seeking to answer the question of what is being communicated. What are the ideas? What are the concepts being communicated from this text? And then the question of what is God showing me? This is kind of more of the devotional aspect. It's very, uh, very much more personal. And in regards to home church, the way that we meet three Sundays a month, um, some of that is really around um, getting engaged in one another's lives and sharing some of that personal stuff. It's about building our relationships. It's not just one-dimensional, just us and the Lord, but us and the Lord's people. We are one family, so it's about connecting. And so around that connection involves uh, answering the question together, what is God showing us? What is he showing me? What is he showing us? What is he doing amongst us? And so uh, this morning, I'll highlight these few things uh, from the first couple of chapters of John, and then I'll pass it off to you to answer amongst yourself, what are you seeing in that? And what is God showing you as an individual and uh, your personal group that you're meeting with today? So before we do that, uh, let me start us off in a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for your living word, and thank you for the way that you teach us through this. I thank you for uh, making it so clear, Lord, communicating yourself, your heart, your character, your intentions and your purpose to us, Lord. And I pray that our hearts would be um, increasingly open and remain soft and malleable in your hands, Lord, so that as we read your scripture, Father, that our heart can take shape that you are communicating to us, Lord. May we be open always to receive what you're speaking to us even today, um, and continue to follow in the direction you lead. We trust you, and we love you. Amen. So the three things I want to highlight this morning are, one, John the Baptist, where he's preparing the way for Jesus, then moving into the wedding at Cana and the miracle that Jesus did there, and then the final thing that we read about with Jesus clearing the temple. After the Gospel of John opens with this deep theological passage of identifying Jesus as the Word, and the Word being from the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God, there's so much uh, meat in, that, in those verses there, uh, the, the writer shifts to John the Baptist and introduces the one who was preparing the way for Jesus to come. John the Baptist was the one who was foretold from some of the Old Testament scriptures that there was going to be one coming to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. 
and people had been coming to him and he was baptizing them in the water with a baptism of repentance. He was preparing the way, saying that the, the Christ, the promised Messiah, the anointed one, is coming. Now, he had gained much popularity in, in the whole region. And at one point, some of the Jewish leaders came to him and they began questioning his identity. He's gathering so much popularity that they became they came to him and started to challenge him, saying, you know, what authority are you doing this? And who, who are you anyway? And John told them, I am not the Messiah, the anointed one. I am not the prophet uh, Elijah. He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the desert, make the way. He's preparing for the one who is to come. And he tells them, he said, I'm not even worthy to be a servant. He said, to untie the sandals of the one who is coming after me because he is greater than me and he was before me. Now, shortly after this passage, we see that Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist sees the sign that he was foretold. He was going to see that marked the Messiah for who he was. It says he saw the Holy Spirit come and rest upon Jesus like a dove. And, and that was what John was waiting to see. So he sees this. He makes the announcement. He says, there is a lamb of God. And what we see immediately after this is some of his own disciples that were following him and his teaching they see this, they're, they're, they're believing that the Messiah is about to come. He gets pointed out, there he is, there is Jesus, he's the one we've been waiting for. And so they kind of look at John the Baptist like, thanks, peace out, and they go follow him. Immediately, John the Baptist's uh, disciples, his followers, go off to the one. And you know what is amazing about this is John had no problem with this at all. As a matter of fact, really, he seems to kind of celebrate it, if anything, because his whole purpose was to prepare the way, not to be the one himself, but to prepare the way. And when he, Jesus had arrived, now his work was accomplished. He had done his part. He had fulfilled his role to play. And now when Andrew and the other disciple of his goes to follow Jesus, this is not something to get upset about and try to lure them back to be his disciples. This is something to celebrate. This is what he was looking towards all of this time anyway. You know, in the following chapter, we'll see this coming week. Uh, when John the Baptist is questioned about this, uh, you know, losing his disciples and people, he's losing popularity now because now they're going to follow Jesus. He had no problem. His answer was, I must decrease so that he must increase. And, you know, when I think about that idea, I kind of see that even in the process of discipleship. When we come to place our faith in Christ, we, we give him our life, we accept and receive his forgiveness and his salvation and now we're in this this process of renewal this process of transformation that uh last weekend at the reunion service ian was kind of he did a phenomenal job walking us through this process of transformation and renewal the more that jesus teaches us and shows us and we receive that we confess and we can follow we follow in alignment with what he is teaching us and now we are renewed our minds are renewed and he increases in us and the old creation goes away and is gone and the new has come the flesh decreases and the spirit within us increases we are that new creation so we see uh, Jesus begins now at this point to gather his disciples he's gathering Philip and Andrew and Peter and Nathaniel uh, and then it mentions the wedding. John chapter 2, they go to this wedding uh, in Cana, and they come upon this problem of running out of wine, which would have been a huge embarrassment. And so 
Mary, Jesus' mother, kind of throws him into the mix without even questioning him and says, listen, it's, it's time for you to kind of take some action, go and do something about this. And we know he goes about uh, filling, he has the servants fill up those water jars, turns it into wine and this huge miracle. But what I want to point out is this. After this all goes down, and the servants know what had happened. They knew what this, this wine came from, that it came from the, the, the um, jars of water. So they knew the miracle. His disciples knew the miracle. No one else from the party really saw this happen. They didn't know where it came from. But watch what it says in verse 11 of John chapter 2. It mentions how this is the first sign that Jesus performed at Cana in the whole region of Galilee and manifested his glory, the way it words it there in the English Standard Version. The first sign that Jesus did, and he manifested his glory. That word manifest is kind of make visible, revealed his glory. And the sentence that follows, and his disciples believed in him. And I think this teaches a powerful principle for us to glean here, is that when God manifests his glory, it leads to belief. He manifested his glory here by this, this sign, this miracle at the wedding. His disciples saw that miracle. He saw uh, the glory manifested, and they believed. See, they had begun following him by faith, and now they see the manifestation start to come, and they believe. This revealing, this manifest, manifestation of God's glory continues, even today, to have this same impact. When his glory is revealed... It inspires belief in those who observe that glory. Think about this. In John chapter 17, it's called the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying in the garden before he uh, was arrested and then taken to be tried and crucified. In that high priestly prayer, John 17, he prays and talks to the Father about this idea of glory. He says, Father, glorify the Son so that I may glorify you. He's asking the Father to bring, bring me glory so that I may glorify you. And then a little bit further on, he mentions glory again, and it's when he's talking about you and me. In that prayer, he mentions all the believers that are to come down the road through the disciples' message spread through the world, and he prays for these future believers, and he prays that we would be one. And it's in verses 22 and 23, he says it this way. He said, the glory that you have given me, I gave to them. That's you and me. I gave this glory to them that they may be one, even as we are one. So this glory helps to make us one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. So what Jesus is saying in this prayer is that he had glory. He gave us the glory, the future believers. He passed down and delegated and, and, and sent this glory to us, one, so that we could be one. And as this glory makes us one, that is his glory manifest. As we grow to be one people of God, unified in spirit and, and in mind, this is God's glory manifested. And what happens when God's glory is manifested or revealed the world may know that you sent me and love them. It inspires belief. When we, as a body of Christ, acknowledge and love one another, that's otherworldly. That's divine. 
That's God's glory manifest. And that glory shown to the world inspires their belief. Then they will know that Jesus really is the Son of God. Then they will know that he really does love us. This is the real deal. Going on from there, it talks about how Jesus went to the temple. And when he went to the temple, he saw all of this uh, money changing and the selling and buying of animals to be sacrificed. And it was using kind of the outer courts as, as a marketplace. And this, this gets him upset because there's no reverence for the house of God. And it talks about he goes and clears the temple. He says he throws them, the coins around. He flips the tables. Uh, in one place in, where it says in one of the gospel, it talks about how he actually fashioned a whip, took his time, fashioned a whip and took in there and cleansed the temple and, and sent all these merchants out of there. He sees what is happening. He says, this is not, this is not how, what my father's house is set out to be. So it says, my house will be a house of prayer, not a house of sales. Now this had become really culturally acceptable in this time as a reasonable way to acquire a sacrificial animal to then offer uh, in the temple. People would come from far and for whatever reasons, either it was hard to transport the animals that they were bringing or whatever reason have you, they would come and then they would purchase and they would acquire the animal that they were going to sacrifice there in the outer courts and then they would bring it to the priest and it would be sacrificed there. And so Jesus is coming in here and something that had been culturally acceptable, he disrupts in the name of reverence for God. And I think that is something to take a closer look at. It's often very easy to justify the way that we do things in the name of efficiency, convenience, or just it's just the way we do things uh, without even necessarily considering the implications of how or why we're doing it. As believers, we now come and we look and we perceive the world through new eyes. We are a new creation and now we're able to see things differently. And as Christ reveals things to us, we now can take a closer look at the way we do things. Things that seem like no big deal, it's really a cultural norm, but it's a cultural norm of the culture of this world. And as a people of the kingdom of God, the kingdom culture, a kingdom mindset, we don't just get swept up in the culture of the world without thinking about it, but now we can actually contemplate what we're doing, understanding God's greater purposes, and sometimes, oftentimes, there's going to be real significant reason to actually go against the grain and do something different. Something that may be perfectly culturally acceptable behavior, but because of who we now have become as a new creation filled with the Holy Spirit and as a temple of that Holy Spirit, we don't just follow that way of the world, but now we follow a different way. And that's not always going to be acceptable when we start to go against the grain. As a matter of fact, it's going to be something that will be questioned. You know, when, when Jesus went and cleared the temple and he's flipping tables, the Jews came to him and said, what, by what authority are you doing this? Who, do, who even do you think you are? The same way that when John the Baptist was baptizing, preparing the way for Jesus, he was questioned, who are you to do this anyway? See, the Gospel of John is all about identity. Jesus' identity. The, the, the Apostle John, his goal, his aim is to present 
Jesus to show clearly who he is. So the stories that he tells, the order that he puts them in, all have very specific purpose. And he's trying to orient the reader to who Jesus is. It's his identity. And now, through showing his identity clearly to inspire and encourage belief in Jesus as the Son of God, is really acknowledging Jesus' identity is the only way for us to fully grasp even our own identity. He is the one who has given us life to begin with. And so in order to understand this life and the way that he has designed us uniquely as individuals is by knowing him and by him revealing these things to us. So I'll just close with uh, this quick thought. Just the same way that John the Baptist, he followed what the Lord had put upon his heart to do. His role, his commission was to go and prepare the way. And he was challenged and questioned along the way. Jesus came and as he uh, fulfilled his role from the Father and as he taught and as he manifested the glory of God, many believed, but he was also challenged along the way to his questioned and i think this is something that we also have to consider for ourselves too serving god and being faithful to our call and our role in the body of christ at some point brings challenge brings the questions who are you who do you think you are why are you doing this why do you why do you do this this way this is a peculiar way and so it demands of us to really know who we are, and that comes from knowing Christ. And as we pursue him, this is just naturally what's going to come out of us. There'll be an answer. It talks about in the scripture, uh, always be prepared, have an answer, always have a reason for your faith. Well, that comes from simply knowing who Christ is and maintaining that ongoing relationship with him. So, uh, with that, I will send it off to your groups. Have a great time in uh, conversation around the word, getting to know one another and uh, Jesus even more. Uh, Father, I pray that you would bless uh, all of the family today. Be with them. And Holy Spirit, oh Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal to them yourself, uh, who they have been created to be, what you have placed within each individual in the body, and that, Holy Spirit, you would empower them to express and contribute of each of the, the gifts that you've placed within them to offer them to the body to continue to make us strong and coordinated and one. God, may your glory be made manifest through us as we become one. And may the world come to know that you truly are the Son of God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.